This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Hi friends, while preparing this week's episode, I found myself praying it will reach the ears and hearts of people across the world who have suffered the loss of a spouse or a child unexpectedly. But beyond that, I found myself praying it would reach the ears and hearts of anyone walking alongside someone in the grieving process. Today's conversation is with Treva Kuiper. Treva's life was forever changed March 10, 2017, when one of her greatest fears became her reality. She lost her husband in a tragic accident. Two and a half years later, Treva shares her story with us. While her story is one of great sorrow, it is a greater story of God's redemption and His faithfulness to walk with you in all things and never leave you. Listen to what Treva shared with her children early on in their grieving process. But I have reminded the kids over and over from the beginning that if we believe God is who He says He is, then we have two choices. We either trust him and we walk in his ways or we roll over and we let the enemy deal with us. And so that's how I handled the moving forward. We're going to trust God in this. And when they were falling apart, crying, wailing, or I was, we would just hold each other. Y'all, this conversation is so honest, so powerful, so God glorifying. After listening to Treva, I hope you experience comfort if you need comfort, hope if you need hope, Empathy, if you need empathy, encouragement, if you need encouragement. But most of all, I hope you experience the tenderness of our God. Will you take a moment as we get started and introduce our listeners to you and your family and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Treva Kuiper, and we are from Oregon. Um, I have three beautiful kids who are now almost, well, all of them are almost adults now. They're two adults and one teenager. So I got to that season of life. I have been in ministry to teen girls for 20 years. Uh, I've been directing a ministry called The Loft uh, for eight years. And it's just a ministry where we love on girls once a month by sharing with them the hope that we have in Christ. Mm -hmm. And when they go through hard things, we want to talk about it. So at The Loft, uh, once a month, we talk about topics like sex and relationships, eating disorders, body image, divorce and blended families, um, mental health, all those things. And so that's really been my heart for about 20 years. And then I was a youth leader for that long. But I'm also on the side, I'm a mural painter. Really? Yes, a children's mural painter. I've been doing that for about 14 years. Oh my goodness, I love murals. So do you do it in their bedrooms? Do you do it all over? Wherever people want me to. So I used to do murals in children's rooms, um, but then that kind of went out of style a little bit. And then mostly now it's uh, pediatric dental offices, pediatricians, hospitals, schools. Um, Yeah. So I love that. That's like my artist side. Yeah. I mean, I've 
I often call myself the mural chaser because I will be driving around various areas in the triangle area looking for there, there's a woman who paints a lot outside here so and she does a lot of chalk art too so a lot of times I'm like okay where does Lisa have this let's go find it my kids think I'm a little bit crazy but I'm like that's cool I don't care <laughs> that's like a scavenger hunt of murals that it would is. be really fun I know yeah oh well, well, and so I tell love me it. did you all ju- did you just retire from the loft or step aside because I felt like I saw that on social media Yeah, I sure did. I sure did. So after 18 years of being a youth leader and eight years of running the loft, the Lord in the last couple of years um, has called me out of those ministries. And now my heart currently, and it's new, but is for those suffering uh, through loss and grief. And especially for widows, that's where my heart is because I became a widow. Right. Which is what we're going to talk about tonight. This podcast is just a lot about God's grace in people's lives and how um, he really can use any story to impact his kingdom. And so when I was introduced to your story through a friend of mine, Robin, I was like, yes, yes, I want to talk to her. This is a just an amazing story. And so will you take our listeners back and just tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus and what life has looked like in the last, you know, five to 10 years? Yes, absolutely. Well, I did not grow up in a Christian home, but I uh, found Christ my junior high seventh grade year at a camp. And so I was the only Christian in my home through junior high and high school and felt a little bit like an alien. Yeah. But I, I like to say that I'm a daughter of five marriages and four divorces, yet I was never divorced as an adult. So my growing up had a lot of affairs and divorces and unfaithfulness and not a lot of Jesus. Hmm. And uh, when I was 19 and in college, I started just doing things my own way. I was tired of walking with the Lord and not feeling like I was getting what I wanted from him. And uh, which is so my heart for teens now, because yeah. they'll, oftentimes they feel that way. I got pregnant. I had an abortion. And then about a year and a half later, I had made a total mess of my life. And so at 21, I recommitted my life to the Lord Mm. and now I'm 46. So for about 25 years, been walking solidly with the Lord. And that's uh, right after that is when I met my husband, um, Jeff, and uh, we got married a year later and he was the first godly man I had ever met. And he was eight years older than me, much more mature. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and we couldn't be more different, but our love for the Lord um, just really connected us. And we were married for 22 years. Yeah. So were you still in college when you met him? I sure was. We got married in the middle of my college years. And then uh, he paid for the last few years of my college so that I could finish and go full time. Right. And so, yeah. So I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. Yeah. And he was just such a blessing, such a blessing in my life. Yeah. And then you all, so you have three kids and... So how long does it, let's say you were married, what, two or three years before you started having babies? We were married four years and then we had our first, our daughter, um, who's 20 now, Yes, uh, but we had her, um, in our fifth year of marriage and then it felt like I was pregnant for a bazillion years (laughs) after that. You know how it is. (laughs) It's like, I look at three kids now and I think that's really not that many kids, but it feels like I was pregnant for 15 years. How does that work out? (laughs) I think it's because between... 
like pregnancy and nursing or just trying to get your body back to what feels normal, it is much longer than nine months, you know? It is. And then about that time when you're getting, you know, you're having babies, it's not much long after you finally get normal and your hormones are under control before you're pregnant again. (laughs) And you're just so "Ah." true. That is so true. Yeah. I wasn't in my thirties until, yeah, it was my thirties when we stopped having babies. Yeah. Yeah, So we have three there. Um, My daughter is 20. My oldest son is 18 and my youngest son is almost 15. Oh, I feel like my babies are just so little and I'm older because I didn't start having kids until I was a little bit older. And so I'm like, okay, don't think too hard about it because when you're 50, you'll still have kids at home. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> don't, that is don't, right. don't look too far ahead. Just, and I don't want to hurry it along, but you know, you don't want right. to, if you think too far along, it feels forever, but it goes by fast. It does go by fast. Yes. I will say that for sure. Well, in your story, grief and faith really collide. And so take us back to 2017 and share with our listeners about the accident and what happened in your family, which is leading into, you know, how you now have a heart for those who are grieving. Well, and even before the accident, I look back on all the ways that God prepared me for Mm. the accident, March 10th, 2017. And my worst nightmare. And for a lot of moms and wives, it's losing their husband. And I think the only thing that might trump that is losing a child, Mm -hmm. which I can't even fathom. I can't even fathom. So that was something that I feared losing my husband. He was such a good dad, such a great husband, a godly man, very strong in his faith. Um, I used to call him my Boaz. And so, you know, I just, I didn't think from the abandonment that I had already suffered as a daughter, Mm -hmm. that the Lord would ever allow me to be a widow uh, before I was 80. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. It it makes a little more sense if you're 80. And then, you know, to be 44, which actually is a little bit older than a lot of people are widows in in their 20s and 30s. But so we were a solid family of five, very Mm -hmm. solid, and very involved in our church and in ministry. And, um, So again, I I just didn't think that was going to be part of my story. And my husband and I were in ministry to teens together. So he ministered to the guys and I ministered to the teens and we did it together for 17, 18 years. So on March 10th, he was going to work a half a day and then take the boys hunting. He's a huge hunter, outdoorsman. My boys Mm -hmm. are huge outdoorsmen and they were all buddies. He loved to grab other teenagers too and take them on adventures. So he was Mm -hmm. the big adventure fun guy. In fact, my kids have told me, mom, you're not very fun. (laughs) I I think that's a lot of mom's stories, maybe not everybody's, but I'm like, that's right. Not as fun as your dad anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And I have said to them, well, your dad made sure you had fun and I made sure you're alive. So we we worked together. (laughs) But on that day, he had told me that he wanted to take the boys and I I encouraged that because I wanted to have my own downtime, right? They'd be gone for half the day. So they went to a a town about an hour and a half from here. There's a lot of forests and ponds and lakes and rivers and they could go hunting. And so they did that. And I was just going about my day. My daughter had just gotten home from high school. She was a senior in high school and my phone rang and my two boys and their best friend had gone with Jeff Mm -hmm. hunting. And it was the best friend's phone. It was like, it was his contact name. And I thought, oh, they're probably just going to tell me about, you know, whatever, whatever. they did. Or, and so I didn't get it mm-hmm. and um, I didn't pick it up. And then it rang again right away. And I thought, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up and it was my 15 year old son. My oldest son was 15 at the time. He had his permit and he is screaming in the phone, mom, mom, 
I hurt dad. I rolled the car, mom. And I just completely like, just, you know, where all the blood just leaves your, your head and into your toes. And, and this woman got on the phone and she said, ma'am, there's been an accident and your boys are okay. Your husband is still breathing, uh, but they're going to take them to the emergency room. And, and we're taking care of them. And I, I said, okay, where do I need to go? And the emergency room was an hour and a half away, which felt like a bazillion hours. So I gathered my daughter. I went to Jeff's parents' house. We all kind of figured out what we were going to do to get over there, who was going to stay back, who was going to go. So my friend, my daughter, and I drove out there. Mm-hmm. It took us about three hours total till I got to my boys. Oh my and when I called the hospital, they, they said that there was no one by the name of Jeff Kuyper at the hospital. And um, they had no one under that name, but they had my boys. And so I just assumed that he was at another Another hospital. hospital. Yeah. A lot of times in Oregon, because we're in a smaller town, they will air flight people Mm -hmm. to Portland. And so I just assumed that's where he was going. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wasn't too worried about that. But then when we got to the hospital all the while calling pastors and friends and just telling people to pray. When we got there, I was looking for my boys and the chaplain had already called me once to say, when you get here, I want to meet you. So he grabbed us right away from the waiting room and he brought us into his office and there were two state troopers and a um, social worker in the office and he shut the door and we sat down on the couch and I knew, I knew just because of the, you can feel it. Mm You know, you could just feel it that something really bad had happened. And so he took my hand and he said, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but your husband didn't make it. Mm. And I said, are you are you kidding me? Are you joking me? He said, no, I wish I was. And my daughter literally like climbed up the side of my face, screaming no. And and in that moment, it just was so surreal. It was incredibly surreal kind of slow motion. I was going to say like Um, an out of body experience. Totally, Mm -hmm. totally. And I reference a lot of times like Grey's Anatomy, any of the hospital shows where you see everybody kind of go in slow motion because they're all doing something really serious. As soon as he opened that door, I said, I just need my, I need to see my boys. Mm -hmm. And so the social worker brought me into their room. But when I was walking down the hallway to get to their room, exactly like a slow motion um, TV show, you know, just, it just was so surreal. And, um, my boys already knew that he had passed away. And the, the thing about this story that is so tragic is that my 15 year old was driving. Mm-hmm. And so he had his permit mm-hmm. and he was trying to pass a semi and panicked and the car rolled four times down the highway. But in God's grace, in that very traumatic accident. When the car flipped, the very first contact of the car was the passenger side where my husband was, was sitting. And so because of that, he was crushed Mm -hmm. and he was with Jesus in 10 minutes. Yeah. But the, the ex EMT, this lady that pulled over used to be an EMT, but she's not anymore. And she did CPR on my husband, but she told me that when you looked in the car at the other three seats where the boys were sitting, she said it was like they were bubble wrapped. And and the boys literally climbed out of the car. It landed um, right side up. Yep. Like my youngest broke a piece of his heel. The friend broke a pinky and my son who was driving had scratches. So it, it was phenomenal that mm-hmm. they walked out of that accident and the things that they saw that day, just so much of it is so traumatic. And yet God's grace 
And so if, if we were to talk about that day and there's details, I don't even know, but when the accident happened, it was a single car accident. So number one, the grace was nobody else was in the accident. And then number two, the people that God called to pull over, two ladies were in one car. They were Mm ex-military. They had gone through trauma and helping people that are bleeding, that are dying. So they were not afraid. And they went and helped the boys. The third woman, they're all women that God used. Mm -hmm. The third woman that pulled over was a widow. So all three of these women were now taking care of the three boys that were like sitting down on the side of the road while my husband was still in the car. The fourth woman to pull over uh, is a believer, an ex-EMT nurse, and she pulled over and she went and did CPR on Jeff until the state troopers got there. But because she was an ex-EMT, she told me later on that she had the privilege to pray out loud, boldly for Jeff as he closed his eyes and went to heaven. Oh wow! And she didn't know that he was a believer. She didn't know anything about him. But when she and I got to speak, it was incredible for her to see the life that God had given us and the legacy that Jeff was leaving. And then the fact that God chose her. Yeah. So it was, I mean, just that alone. Yeah. What were those months following this accident like? Uh, Very surreal, very much in that grief fog that a lot of people experience. Yeah. The, the thing that I think is so horrible about when we, when we have to say goodbye to a loved one is that within days you're planning a funeral. It's yeah. like the timing of it all is so incredibly hard. You don't so get to he grieve died. at all until after you're like weeks later. Right. Yes. Because you're literally just taking care of business and trying to wrap your head around what just demolished your family. Mm -hmm. Uh, He died on a Friday. I was at the funeral home on a Monday and his funeral was the following Saturday. So it was a lot. And he, he was an elder in our church. It was just, it was a lot for the church. There was about 600 people at his service and it was just the most beautiful act of love that the Lord had for us every day that week. Mm -hmm. And so it's where joy and sorrow collide Mm -hmm. and uh, where we saw the hand of God so mightily, but it like in the worst circumstance. So I used to always say we have the best scenario in the worst circumstance. Wow. That's a good word. Just right. Just how God carried us. And if I had ever doubted God's love for me or for my kids. It was in those few months afterwards that God solidified for me who he is and how he loves our children. He loves my kids. He loves your kids. He loves our children. And he doesn't have to have all the pieces that we think he has to have to finish the good work that he started in them. Mm. It's just incredible. Yeah. So, You've been a believer, like you said, for a very long time, and it is an incredible gift to have a spouse who shares that. And I know it because I have one and I have friends who don't have that same experience. So after this happened, you, you've always loved God. How did your relationship with God really change as a result of this tragedy? Mm, it became sweeter, Mm. Um, I realized a a couple of things. I had someone come up to me just weeks after Jeff had died and in all their love for me, they said, well, Jesus is your husband now, which I have learned (laughs) to never say that to a widow. (laughs) It's like the worst thing. I don't mean to laugh. (laughs) 
But some of the things that people tell me on here that people say to them, I'm like, just give somebody a hug and move on. Yeah, like, just, exactly. just give somebody a hug and move on. It's so true. And it's it really so does true. come from a good place. I don't think people are trying to hurt you, but at the time you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I know. And yeah, and there's just a bunch of crazy things that people say, but that's true. I mean, it is in scripture, but it's true, but it's not the thing that I needed to hear four weeks later. Um, So, but the interesting thing is now it's been like almost two and a half years. And I would tell you that the Lord has totally been my husband and I don't call him my husband. I don't think of him as a husband in the way, in the earthly terms, but he has been my provider, my mm. protector, my defender, the lover of my soul. Um, so it's been so sweet. I realized that it was good for me to lean on Jeff, to lean on my husband and for us to partner together. But I also have learned, and the Lord has told me quite specifically that he didn't actually need Jeff Kuyper to make me who he created me to be. Mm. He didn't need Jeff to make my kids who God created them to be. That's all the work of God. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I I was at a loss for months later. I knew that the Lord was with me and I spoke a lot about the Lord being with me, but the inside of me felt lost because my one flesh was no longer. And so there's a real like wrestling where, yes, God, I trust you. I believe you. I see all these things you're doing, but on the inside, I feel empty because my one flesh has been ripped apart. And and that's a kind of piercing pain that is, uh, it's indescribable. I've never felt pain like that before. Yeah. And just learning how to walk. Mm -hmm. I mean, because the the reality is, is that we still have to live on earth without someone we desperately love. And I don't think that that means that you, you know, don't trust the Lord to the full. I mean, he clearly knows that we live in a world that is because of sin. It's a world that's constantly decaying. And so we're always going to experience some sort of pain, you know, and sadly, some people's pain is much more severe than others, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I used to think of suffering as something bad and, and it is, but there's good in it too. And that was the part that I never looked at. Um, probably about eight months after Jeff died, I started working out with a personal trainer. And then I started doing a thing called Camp 17, which um, is just a program that teaches you how to connect with your body. And in grief, there's been several widows that have gone through this program, but in grief to learn how to manage the grief, the loss, the stress, how to feel it, how to dump it out how to have a physical outlet. I went through counseling before that, where we talked a lot about my grief and then moved from that to like doing movement and action Mm -hmm. so that I could do something with the grief. And I think that that brought a lot of healing. Um, I did that for, I, I mean, I'm still doing it for over a year and it's really shown me that suffering can put us in a place where something good can happen out of that. And I just, prayed the other day. Thank you, Lord, that I'm a widow because I have had the most amazing conversations with widows. I never even thought about widows before. Like that one verse that says true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. I was like, I remember every time I heard that, I thought, okay, well, I don't know any widows. And even if I did, I don't know what to do to help them. So that, that was what my mindset was all the time. And then I became a widow and now I have such a heart for, um, okay, I get it. 
and I want to hug you and help you and just listen to you. So even in the suffering, God makes good things happen. I want to talk about so many of those things, but I do want to touch on Camp 17 really quickly because I've been, I mean, again, I've seen so many of your posts and I'm like, is Camp 17 like a nationwide thing or is it just an Oregon thing? It's an Oregon thing right now, but it would be neat if it could go everywhere because they handle so much of people that have trauma inside their bodies. Anytime we go through anything, whether it's sexual abuse or grief or um, anything at all, uh, it affects us physically and we tend to look over that, you know, Um, and so that's what they do is they do workouts that are geared to helping you not only connect with your body, but to get the gunk out. And And, so do um, they also have like, we're talking through this, or this is what this is for? Like, how do you know that that's their purpose to get, you know, the gunk out, like you said? They do. They do a lot of, because there's um, coaching the entire time. So they'll do class sessions where they teach you how your nervous system works Mm -hmm. and how breath works. God gave us breath is what gave us life. Mm -hmm. But often we breathe out of our chest and not our gut. Mm -hmm. And if we breathe out of our gut, we actually activate really good things inside of us. So they teach us all those things. And you start to go, oh, I've been anxious for six months or a year because of my grief or because of my loneliness. And then they show you how to do certain exercises or how to lay on a ball in such a way in your diaphragm that it breaks up the muscles that hold the anxiety. And so so it's so cool. And I've watched people get healed from so many things once they start connecting with their body. So I often go back to saying camp 17 is what God used. uh, And the two coaches are believers, but that's what God used in my life to heal me mightily. Well, and then the connection that you also get from people who are walking through trauma that are there. Yes, absolutely. I've met another, I'm very good friends with another widow that goes there and other people, you start to hear other people's stories, right? Cause it's all about the stories. That's yeah. how we know that, that we're normal. That's how we know that we're loved by God is we hear other people's stories and their testimonies. Yeah. Well, I know that your children's story is your children's story, so I don't want to ask you to share too much about that, but I, I do want to ask, like, how have they handled this? Yeah, um, they have had their own roller coaster. You know, each one of them is different, as we know. I often say in those first few months, it was like everybody in my house had the stomach flu and I'm running around with a bucket. One day, one of the kids wasn't, you know, a mess and the other two were okay. And then the next day, it's the other two. And that was really tricky the first few months and how well, to navigate. You're still trying to grieve on top of yes. that. Yes, oh, yes. Uh, Even my kids at the time, they were 18, 15, and 12. And even at the time, they would say it was like we're all bleeding out, but we don't know which one of us to bandage. Mm. You know, so it was really, really difficult. But um, they are doing really well. I would say they're all very healthy spiritually and emotionally and mentally. They've had their ups and downs, each one of them at a different time. But even my son, who was the driver, it's an incredible testimony to see what God has done because I look at him and think you should be a mess. People ask me all the time how he's doing and it feels weird to say he's doing good, but the Lord has a plan for him and the Lord has a purpose for all of this because the Lord and I had to wrestle through some things like, (laughs) you know, why do I always say though, I'm like, why do we try to hide things from God? He can, he already, number one, he already knows it, but even if he didn't, he can totally handle it. So just wrestle away. Oh, for sure. I wrestled with a lot of things because my daughter, five months after 
Jeff passed away, she went away to college. Yeah. And then, so I was left single mom of two boys. Well, coming from all those divorces and I didn't have any brothers and barely had a dad, I said, Lord, I think you made a mistake. Like, why would you, <laughs> why would you just send me to heaven and leave him here? Like he could, he would know how to raise two boys, right? He has a couple yeah. brothers. And so the Lord and I had to wrestle through that and wrestle through the things that my kids saw that day, the things they experienced, my son being the driver. There's a lot of things about the accident that it's like, why did all that have to happen, Lord? Mm-hmm. But I have reminded the kids over and over from the beginning that if we believe God is who he says he is, mm-hmm. then we have two choices. We either trust him and we walk in his ways or we roll over and we let the enemy deal with us. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I handled the moving forward. We're going to trust God in this. And when they were falling apart, crying, wailing, or I was, right, we would just hold each other yeah. and say, I'm sorry. Because there's nothing that any of us could do to fix it. That's what we learned. We can't fix this. Just one day at a time. Yep. And we just hold each other and we pray and we cry, make sure we all cry. Like, don't tell anybody to stop crying. There was, now we do have a dog. We have a chocolate lab who was in the accident Um, and she was ejected from the back of the car and she broke her hip and she has a rod in her hip now. But when we cry in all those days when we would cry, she, even to this day, she would crawl over to us Aww. and try to console us. This Aww. morning I was weeping while I was doing my Bible study and she came over and put her head on my lap. And I said, it's okay. I'm okay. You know, Aww. I'm okay. But ever since then, she has a tender spot when we're upset. She even comes to console wow. us. Wow. Yeah. So you had to be, t- you had to take the dog to the vet during all of this too? Yes. Yeah. Thankfully a stranger got her up out of the street and took her to a vet in that town. And then someone transported her the couple hours to our town. And um, yeah, then she had to have surgery. She had to have um, a metal rod in her leg, which she still has. And then we had to keep her sedated sometimes and just so that she wouldn't ruin the stitches. And yeah, we were all a hot mess. We were just I mean, it really is. Like I hear you just talk about it and I see your, I mean, listen to you talking about the Lord and it's true that even I am like, God, how can you do this? How can you make good out of this? Because I think it's true, unless you've really experienced a certain level of suffering, you do, you can't fathom it. Mm-mm. The no. Lord's goodness. It's really incredible because I have suffered before. I've had a lot of death in my life, a ton. Every five or six years, someone has died in my life since I was 21. Mm-hmm. And so, and my mom died in 2010. Mm-hmm. And then six years later, my husband died. So 37 and 44, uh, seven years. Yeah, just, and it's incredible. And yet this was like the pinnacle, losing Mm -hmm. Jeff. We had just celebrated our 22nd anniversary. We were like in the sweet spot of marriage. You know, we weren't arguing over dumb things. We were (laughs) like, we finally got to that place that you wish you could be at all the time. Right. (laughs) And we just, we just got to that place where we understood each other. We understood our kids and, um, And the timing of all of it does not still make sense to me. But again, I don't try to figure it out anymore because I know that God is in it. And and Jeff was only 52. But yeah, that you go through something just so traumatic and yet God is sufficient in all of that. No matter how dark the days are. And the dark, the days were dark. I mean, I, I definitely do not like sleeping by myself. I I actually have a fear of the dark a little bit now that I didn't have before. Didn't before. No. But I you know, it's that thing of like, Lord, I'm gonna lean into you and I'm gonna trust you and I don't have to fear anything. So it's just mm-hmm. that constant going back to him. Yes, and just repeating his truths. 
Absolutely. Over your life. Yeah. I mean, let's say there's widows listening. What do you want them to know? I want them to know (laughs) that they are so normal. Mm. Whatever they're feeling, whatever they're wrestling with, whatever brings them to tears, every other widow has felt that too. I want them to know that they're normal. They're not an alien. I know I was the first widow in all my friends. And I felt so much like an outcast and so much like an alien. And I, I had so many piercing emotions that none of my friends could relate to. I think I would want her to know that you're normal and it's okay to not have it figured out. And it's okay to feel all those emotions. And it's okay if other people cannot relate to your emotions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, girl, because... I mean, isn't that what you even hear people say, like some friends I have who have special needs children. I've heard that Mm -hmm. same exact thing. Like we feel like we just don't fit anywhere. And so you got to kind of find your people. Yes. Um, Yes. Or, you know, whatever it is that may make you different than the majority. Exactly. Is very, very challenging. It is challenging. I mean, even just going to the grocery store by yourself and realizing, okay, I've got to readjust what I'm going to purchase or going to church by yourself when you've been with your husband at church for 20 something years, it feels weird. You just feel off for a long time until you settle into being an individual. And, and the other thing that I would say too, I was talking to someone at our church the other day about him being able to relate to a family member who's a widow, because when his wife leaves for a month for her job, he feels so separate. And he was trying so sweetly to relate. And I love that. And I said, um, I hear what you're saying, but I just want to, I just want to educate you just because I, I can. And I said, so the, the difference there though, is that when your spouse leaves for a month or six months or whatever, that's really hard. You have to figure out how to do things without your spouse, but you're still one flesh. So you know in your spirit, in your physical, emotional, spiritual self, you guys are still one flesh. You're still connected. You just miss each other. But when you're when someone dies, now you are spiritually disconnected, emotionally, mm-hmm. physically. So that one flesh is being ripped apart little by little every day. And that is part of the piercing pain that we feel that's indescribable. Mm-hmm. So when I know for me, it was about nine months, I finally felt like that ripping apart of one flesh was over. It didn't mean that I was healed and not in pain, but I knew that it wasn't ripping apart anymore because the piercing pain wasn't there, but once in a while. And I felt very much like an individual. And so, um, that is a, that's a really, really awful mind boggling journey to walk through. But once I felt like an individual, I was like, okay, Lord, now who is Treva? Yes. Who, yeah. Who am I without him? Well, and thank you for sharing that because I think sometimes it is just, it's people trying so hard and I'm so yes. guilty of it in so many spaces of just trying to have a conversation with someone and, you know, trying to help someone, I don't know, feel like you care when really you just need to be educated in being quiet. Right. <laughs> I mean, not always, but you know, it's like trying to gain that perspective of sometimes I just need to be quiet or think about the other person and where they're coming from. But we also need people in whatever camp you may be in, whatever your experience is, to educate those of us that are messing up not on purpose. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I, there was a time and widows may feel this as well. There was a time where I used to say, man, I'm so feisty. Mm -hmm. And I think because as widows being a woman, single mom, some of them aren't moms though, you know? Yes. But, but even just that being an advocate for yourself, I found myself being a little bit feistier and not showing as much grace to other people. And now grieving. You're grieving. So that's normal too. Like you are advocating for yourself, for your kids, or even just yourself. And so it's okay if we're a little feisty, a little sassy. And I would say now at two and a half years, I still advocate for myself. I see a strength in me that I didn't see before, Mm -hmm. but I do have way more grace, which is nice because I can educate someone without feeling like they've just slammed me in some way, you know? So I, cause I was a little nervous at first, like, am I always going to be this feisty? Like, you know, but but now well, just, part of I the grief so. cycle, if people actually were to read, I mean, you can get online and look at it, but I, I'm, I don't practice physical therapy now, but I did. I mean, I'm a physical therapist. And even when we were learning about the grieving process, because let's say I went and I decided I was going to be a spinal cord injury physical therapist, we are educated on the grieving process because those people are grieving the loss of their limbs. And part of that is anger. You know, part of that, it's so normal to go through that anger phase. And I do think that comes out towards other people sometimes too, even though you're not angry at the person, it's just everybody around you becomes that person that you can kind of say something to because people are trying to love you. And you're kind of just like right now, I'm kind of just pissed off that this happened to me. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's so true. And, and people are well-meaning and they do, they want to love you. And then uh, what I learned too, is that men men would come into my life trying to fix things for me and women would come in to love and feed me. Right. So you, right. you could totally see the, the man woman difference there. Yes. And um, and what's interesting, what I've learned is really to be a friend of someone who is grieving and who is suffering really is to just sit with them in the yuck. Mm. And, it, and it's not that we have to have the words or the right words, because I used to tell people, there's nothing you could say to me that would hurt me more. And there's nothing you could say to me to fix me. So to just sit here and let me just process with you mm-hmm. or cry or have a piece of chocolate cake together and some coffee like that, that is really, or two pieces ministry. of chocolate cake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the whole cake. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the kind of friend that I've tried to be now that I know, because before I would have avoided those people. Mm. I would have, I would have at church, I would have walked the other direction because out of fear that I would say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And now I'm like, it's not about that so much. It's more about just being present. Yeah. And just loving on the people. And because I think I, I even, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, gosh, I don't even know what to do a lot of times, you know? And so, cause not everybody is your closest friend. Right. And, you know, I don't know. I'm like, what do you do when you're the person that's just not really close? Like people who knew you at church, but right. they weren't in really close relationship with you. Right. I mean, what do they do? That's a really hard, that's a really hard one. And and this is what I loved. And this is what I would encourage always a hug. And you can ask them, can I just give you a hug? You see them at church. Don't okay. avoid them. Well, if you're, if you're walking past someone that you know has just buried their spouse or their yeah. child or something like that, and you don't know what to do, make eye contact, yeah. 
mm-hmm. say good morning and say, I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. And if you feel comfortable, say, can I give you a hug? I just want to hug you. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing that we can do, which is exactly what I always used to do, is, is to avoid. Ignore, avoid, don't make eye contact. Um, and people do that because they don't know what to do. That's why I did it. But the person that's grieving already feels like an outcast. Mm-hmm. And so that actually makes them feel more like that. And then I also tell people whether you're close or not close to the person that's, that's just suffered. Sometimes just dropping a bouquet of flowers on their yeah. porch with a card. That's like a, that's like a hands down. That thing will work all the time. Mm. Drop a bouquet of flowers down with a card. They now know you've thought of them, which is huge. They want to be thought of. They now know you thought of them. You're praying for them. You know, that kind of thing. We don't have to make face-to-face contact to be able to say, I love you. Such good, good tips for, I mean, just practical things that I do think a lot of people are just really want to do the right thing. But like you said, they're afraid. Or, you know, the last thing I want to do is send you into a deeper spiral. So I'm just going to do nothing. It's so true. And and the other thing is if you have, if you're in relationship enough to where you guys have conversation, always bring up the name of the person that's passed away. Always. And say a funny memory that blesses people. I mean, to no end, it blesses them. And it's our nature to say, oh, I'm not going to talk about the person because I don't want to cause more pain. But it causes more pain and awkwardness when we don't. Well, and I even know that to be true with friends who, you know, lost babies that, yes, I know the baby was never born, but it was like a late term loss. And it's like to them, and I mean, I know now that I've carried children, if I carried a child into 20 weeks, Mm -hmm. I mean, you better believe like that child is a child. Yes. I mean, you know, like, yes, yes. If you're a mama out there, you know, I mean, you've been loving that child for a long time. And so I might always try to ask my friends about, particularly if it's a late term loss and mention their name. And I've had some friends who Mm -hmm. lost babies at like two days old. And that's really hard because nobody even knew the baby. But to them, they did know them. So anyways, not the same thing. But I do think bringing up the name. Yes. No matter the situation. Validates not only the the child's life, the the person's life who passed away, but then it validates the person who is grieving them to say what you just went through is important. And that person in your life was important. Well, two and a half years out, what do you guys do, you and your children, to really keep Jeff's memory alive, but not feel like you're keeping yourself stuck, like you said, in that one flesh mentality, even though he's gone? Right. Well, one of the things that we've done from the get go is we always talk about him. Mm -hmm. We bring up funny memories. We talk about him. He is a part of our lives, uh, our daily lives. And my kids still struggle, obviously, with missing him. And so I let them tell me, you know, however repeatedly they need to, that they miss him today or they, you know, there's so many aspects of their lives that are affected by not having their dad. The other thing that we did is we actually last year, we sold the house Mm -hmm. that they grew up in. So the house that we lived in for 18 years, we sold that house and then I bought a new house and now we're in the new house. And that was really hard on the kids. It was really, really hard, but it was, it was, it had to happen. It had to happen for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we have a wall, a memory wall that we have our pictures hanging up and our family picture and, you know, just to, just to always have that reminder 
of him. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is just talking about him and having pictures around. And I have told my kids that they can always talk to me about their daddy. I will always love him and I will always miss him. He was my best friend for so long. But in two and a half years, I've also seen so much healing yeah. that when we do talk about him, we're not always crying. Yes. So that's refreshing. back fondly. Yes. And remember yes. him. Well, and speaking of that, eventually you did start dating again. I and did. Yes, which is such an awesome, I mean, it's really a great story too. And so what has that process been like? And, and you know, how do you navigate that? You you love another man, but you still love your husband. And it's it's, again, it's just such a neat way that God works things out. So share that with us a little bit. Yeah. So I started dating about a year ago. And I made sure that I talked to each of my kids individually first and just not only gave them a heads up, but gave them an opportunity to respond mm-hmm. however they wanted to respond. And each one of them responded exactly how I thought they would and completely unique, yes. right? Because we know our personalities are our kids, you know, one didn't really care that much. One was kind of frustrated and the other one cried while she told me she was happy for me. So I pretty much knew <laughs> well, I can't, how. Lord, and also why we're talking about this. If you could please in the future, just make at least two of our children the same because it is, they're all so different. I'm like, I can barely parent myself. Like, do I really exactly. need to parent three completely opposite personalities? Oh, isn't it so true? It's crazy. It is so true. And you see it in, in all ways of life. And then you do see yes. it when you're going through grief. You know, they all oh, just yeah. respond so differently. But we also, um, so we started dating a little over a year ago. And his name is Jeff as well, mm-hmm. which just makes it such a beautiful blessing and very confusing right. for <laughs> For everybody. Yeah, you're like, no, my husband, <laughs> Jeff. But anyways, go right, ahead. Right. And then last weekend, we just got engaged. Congratulations. So, thank you. Thank it's just you. Such yeah. A, you know, beauty from ashes. It really is. And he and I had gone to high school together. So we we knew each other back in the day. And then just a casual reaching out to me on social media to say how sorry he was. We started communicating. And the thing that happened that God did is he gave me a new best friend. Yeah. And so the the new Jeff uh, became my best friend and he started walking with me through my grief and my kids grief and not scared of it. Yeah. Not judging it, just allowing us to watch the Lord work. And that is what made him a best friend, Wow! which is just a precious, precious gift. And so when we, to keep back some of the confusion, when we talk about both Jeffs, I will refer to um, my late husband as daddy. I always talk, I'll talk about daddy all the time. Daddy, this daddy, that remember when daddy did this. And then I talk about Jeff currently Mm -hmm. as Jeff. And so it helps to keep down the confusion because I did say, Lord, out of all the names in the world, (laughs) why, why another Jeff, you know, but Jeff's a good name and Jeff means heavenly peace. Oh, really? What the name means. Yeah. That's the biblical definition, heavenly peace. And so I I just believe that God has meaning. God doesn't do things just flippantly. Right. Everything has meaning um, and value. Mm-hmm. And so if God chose for me two uh, Jeffs that mean heavenly peace, yeah. then he's probably trying to tell me something. And uh, and so it's been a beautiful walk. Well, and what a gift it is that to meet someone that will actually just meet it head on. And, yes. you know, not be the type of person of I can't handle this or I need you to put this completely behind you because... 
that's just, that's not healthy. First of all, you know, to just put it behind Mm -hmm. you and act like, okay, you just got to move on. And for your kids. Yes. You know, and so what a gift that he must be. What are y'all's plans? Well, we're going to get married um, in November uh, in Hawaii. Good for and, you. Uh, yeah. And, you know, just praying a lot about blending a family, praying a yeah. lot about our kids and my kids and their grief. And it is hard. It is not rainbows and flowers. Right. For certain, it's not. In fact, the whole process of dating, not the dating part, but, the, you know, when we're young and we get married, you choose somebody, you marry them, and they're the only person that mm-hmm. gets in on the decision. Mm-hmm. But when you're older and you date and come through a valley that we've come through, I feel like I'm dating with 12 people on hand. You know, it's yeah. really, <laughs> it's, you know, I've got my best friends and my in-laws and everybody kids. has <laughs> kids. Yeah, everybody has kind of a, a thought process or an opinion. But I'm learning and growing that I have to keep my eyes focused on God's plan mm-hmm. for my life because it's really not about me. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that God has done in this new relationship that is all about redemption wow. that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. And if I would have said, Lord, you know what? That's not my timing right now. That's too soon. That's not my timing. Right. No. Then I would be missing out a year later on the clear redemptive work of Christ mm-hmm. that I would have I would have never experienced in this way had I said, nope, that's not for me, God. So I often talk to widows about being ready to receive God's blessing, whatever that looks like, and not fall into the formula that the world puts on us, no matter what it is, whether it's how long you should grieve or how short you should grieve or when you should date or not date or whatever. We have to be walking with the Lord so intimately Mm -hmm. that we're following God's direction. And the thing that I thought about was God told Noah to build the ark, right? People must have thought he had lost his ever living mind. Well, for sure. Right? And I would have been in the crowd going, this guy's crazy. That's <laughs> why too. when people say stuff, I'm like, oh, come on now. I would have been the Israelite. So I'm not going to sit over here and act like I, you know, not in Noah's case, but, you know, I would have been the people yes. looking at Noah going, you're crazy. I would have been the grumbling Israelites, you know. Completely. I would have too. Yes. And so that story reminds me that he was faithful. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people in the Bible that were faithful to God, even when other people are going, are you nuts? What are you even thinking? That does not make any sense at all. And so I have not had people do that to me, but but I have had people not understand the journey because they haven't walked the journey. Uh-huh. So we, we have to, no matter what we go through, no matter what suffering, we have to keep our eyes so focused on the Lord uh-huh. that when he tells us to build an ark in the middle of nothing, we, we need to just build the ark and then leave Such it up to him for whatever the, right, whatever the, the outcome is, that's his deal. Yeah. Um, but it's a battle to stay focused that way. Oh, I mean, it's a daily surrendering to the Lord. You're right. Because I mean, I've not walked your journey, but I can only imagine you've got the people saying, you should never date again. Like you, it's too soon. Oh, you must not have really cared as much as you say you cared because you're dating again. Oh, what are you yeah. doing? You're getting married. You, I mean, I, you know, I can, mm-hmm. yes, just being yep. a human being, I can only imagine all of the things that people say. And you're right. Like you have to be God, you're the companion of my soul. I've got to ask yeah. you for wisdom and discernment. Yeah. And when I believe that I've heard from you, I need to walk in that in confidence. Absolutely. And and my best friend told me long ago when all this was going on, she said, you need to walk in faith and confidence. Yeah. 
what you just said. Yeah. And that really spoke to me because people will say all kinds of things. And what I hear the most from people is that, well, if my husband died, I would never remarry. That's what I hear the most. But, but in speaking with other widows until we've walked it, we don't know. I would, I, in fact, my husband and I talked about five years before he died, we had that conversation of what would he do if I died first? And what would I do if he died first? And he said to me, he, he joked with me and he said, oh, honey, you'd be married like in the first year. And I was so <laughs> offended. I was like, no, I wouldn't, you know. And he said, you're so relational. Oh, you would, yeah. yeah. And I said, well, what about you? And he said, well, nobody would nobody would marry me again, you know. And he was joking, but he the Lord allowed these conversations mm-hmm. because he said, if something happens to me, I want you to lean into my parents. I want you to just lean into my parents and let them take care of you. And so we, I never thought that I would remarry, never thought that I would, um, I mean, not back then. Right. You know, after he died, I thought, wow, 50 more years, 40 more years, 30 more years of just myself. Like I am relational. I like partnership and to partner with people on all things. So, uh, so yeah, we just don't know, but I did want to share with you about my in-laws because this just, oh my word, this is so Christ. Uh, so Christ-centered. So Jeff's parents. Now, are they local? Great, they're Close. local. Okay, awesome. Yep, yep, they're local. And we've all lived here for like 20 years. And I don't have parents. Yeah. And so when Jeff died, I I went to them and I said, hey, I just want you to know, because it's those awkward conversations. But I said, I want you to know I'm not going to go anywhere. Mm. Because, you know, technically I'm not related to my in-laws. Right. Right. My kids are, but I'm not. But I said, I- I'm not going to go anywhere. I want to stay part of the family. And they said, oh, of course. And I said, um, do you think instead of calling you my in-laws, could I just call you mom and dad? Mm. And they were like, of course. Yeah. And they just adopted me right then and there. And even before that moment, they had adopted me into their family. But here their son died tragically and they took us all in. And then last week and I get engaged and me and Jeff, new Jeff, go over to their house for dinner. We wow. expressed the news to them and they were ecstatic, elated. Mm. And I looked at dad and I said, dad, would you, would you walk me down the aisle? And he said, Absolutely. And I didn't even have my own dad walk me down the aisle when I was 21. So I've never even had that. Wow. So my late husband's father is going to give me away at my wedding with my new husband. Wow. If that is not the redemptive work of Christ, I don't know what is. I am like. (laughs) For sure. Right? Only God can do that. From a woman who still has that little girl inside Mm -hmm. that says, why does everybody have to leave? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you're seeing, and the, you're seeing something different than you expected, but oh, still redemption. So much redemption. And I don't have, I've never had a dad that mm. looked at me like their little girl. So to have my late husband's dad take me in yeah. and say, I will walk you down the aisle proudly. He even asked me the other day, what do you want me to wear? I just, so I mean, sweet. that's a dad, you know, say it's precious. And that is the work of God. Yeah. That is amazing. Now, did your late husband, did he have siblings? Yes, he does. He has. So he's the first one to pass away. He has two older brothers and a younger sister. Okay. And they're precious. And two out of three of them are local. Nice. And they are definitely my brothers and my sister. And, you know, they've been they've been fantastic. I know. Well, and that's the thing, right? You're you're in someone's life for over 20 years. It's I can't even imagine how that's something that I've certainly thought about 
when you lose a spouse, you're not just losing the spouse, your friendships change, all these things change, and you have to re-navigate what those are going to look like. Absolutely. That's, that's something that nobody ever talks about is the loss is like a hundred things. It's not even just the spouse that you bury. Everybody for the first few months is right there supporting you and caring you and helping. But friendships change. I've I've lost friendships over the past few years because I'm different. They're different, you know, and uh, and relationships get strained Mm -hmm. because people have an idea of the way that you should do something or the way that you should handle something. And as we advocate for ourselves, oftentimes when we're suffering, we have to be able to say, no, I can't do that today. That's too much for me. Right. Or, right. Or that's too much for my kids. And then we hurt people's feelings because we're trying to guard and protect our own family. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that's just part of the process, although it is very, it has been, that's probably been the most difficult thing next to losing Jeff is the loss of all the other things and the misunderstandings that come with it. Yeah. Well, I know, like you said earlier, you have such a heart for widows and, you know, you've, you've left your previous career even to the point of, you know, how can I step out and minister to these women, men, whoever it may be? What are you doing now? What's that road kind of looking like um, in ministering to widows? Well, I just started about a month ago, I started a social media page on Instagram and Facebook called Not Just a Widow. And it's been a place where I can share my story and share my my website with my blog on there, which is trevakuiper.com. It show, it has some stories on there from the very beginning yes. that widows go and they read and they're encouraged by that. But um, the Not Just a Widow page is that we are not just a widow. a widow. So much more. So much more. Yeah. And so I've been able to private message people. I, I've had widows message me the day after they became a widow. Oh, wow. And just not know what to do, not know where to go, not know what to think. And I'm able to not only start praying for them, but to just affirm them in their process, in their feelings, you know, and just be that voice for them that I didn't have Mm -hmm. right away. I didn't have anybody that knew what I was feeling. And then I speak at different um, women's retreats and different, you know, church events and things like that to give hope that we have Christ. And if we have Christ, we have hope in the valley here today, but also for eternity. Mm -hmm. And so the hope in suffering is so huge in my heart. And I, I just love it when I get to hug a widow, especially after I get to share my story at an event. And then a widow comes up to me and just hug her and love her. And, you know, you're not alone. It's just so, yeah, it's so precious to me. And I would have never, like I said, I would have never known. I'd never even thought about widows. And now they're like always on my radar. Well, and isn't it amazing? That's it's so easy to think um, sometimes that social media, just the negative things, but the positive things that I, you know, try to point out and whoever may be using it is stuff like nowadays, if you experience a tragic loss, if you, you know, become a widow at a young age, or young age and old age, whatever, you can find some resources so much easier. And that's the benefit of it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for people like you that will put their story out there and who, you know, have suffered well and are now willing to give that suffering over to help other people. 
Absolutely. And the the ripple effect that God does, just that ripple effect. And if we give him our pain and our suffering, he will make beauty from ashes. Mm -hmm. He will. And it will come in ways that surprise us Mm -hmm. and ways that we didn't anticipate. Uh, It's just such a beautiful process. And it's hard. And, you know, I was talking to a friend whose dad passed away and she said, you know, it's just a hard season. There's nothing I can do to fix this season. And so it's true that even in the beauty of what God does, we still have to walk each step through the valley. We still have to make it through, um, you know, but, um, but we can have hope even in the pain. And that's what I want people to understand. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just keep one step in front of the other and the Lord will walk you through it. You will get through it. Yeah, keep yeah. clinging on to those moments of hope, too, I think, is a huge thing. Absolutely. Every little thing, you know, and eventually the grief gets to where one day you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't grieve all day today. I felt mm-hmm. a little bit normal. And then you grieve for three, four more days. And then another day comes where you felt a little normal. And it starts to become this process where eventually the grief only happens when you're triggered once in a while. That's where I'm at. Um, but for the most part, I feel like a normal, whole human being, wow. not a broken puddle on the ground. Right. And so, but So God does do that in his timing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I am so grateful. And I will link um, Not Just a Widow on our show notes and your website so that people can find those easily. But we close our show with a couple of questions. And, you know, you may share what we've already talked about, you know, clinging to God's grace. But if there is something else in your life or maybe a specific instance where you could share that unmerited favor that God pours up on us sometimes is just so much stronger and so much more needed than other times. Is there something specific you could share about a moment? And I mean, obviously, we know that this is what the whole thing is about, but Mm -hmm. really clinging to that grace moment by moment. Mm, I would say when I was in my bed, going to sleep each night for the first Mm -hmm. month or so I had girlfriends that would come and sleep in my house so that I wasn't, didn't feel alone and vulnerable. But I would say after everybody went home and it was just me tucking my kids in at night and then going to sleep, um, the Lord met me there all the time. And I would pray myself to sleep oftentimes, or I would cry myself to sleep oftentimes, but God's grace came not only in those moments, but even more so every morning when the sun rose. Because I just remember having the sun come through my window in the morning and go, I made it through another night. I made it through another night and, and I'm still here and his mercies are new every morning. And so I would wake up every day and say, I might not have known what to pray for that day. I might've been just a mess on the inside, but I knew Lamentations 323. And so I was like, Lord, thank you for your mercies that are new every morning and your compassions that never fail. I just, yes, I just thanked him every day. And I'll tell you that sunshine that came through was just, it was a lifesaver. It was his grace. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it says joy will come in the morning. And so I just clung to that because otherwise the darkness that you feel on the inside and then the actual darkness Mm -hmm. of the night, that is like the enemy's playground. And it just was a battle sometimes to fall asleep and to wake up. But yeah, that was it. The mornings. 
Well, if you had the opportunity to sit down and share some wisdom with your great-grandchildren, what's Mm. something you would like for them to know? Two things. One, that their parents and grandparents are probably the strongest people that I ever knew Mm. because that would be my kids and their kids. And then second, I would say, in all your days, walk closely with the Lord Because if you are walking with him and trusting in him, he will never, ever lead you astray. And you will make it through whatever this life has. You will absolutely make it through. And so I think that is what I would tell them. Thank you so much for your time. I am so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, Would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.